Listening to the Running with God podcast, more than nominal Christianity. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Running with God podcast. I am your host, Coach Darby. Very excited to bring to you a special Christmas episode of the Running with God podcast. Now, as the recording of this podcast is taking place, um, I count only one more shopping day until Christmas. So I really hope that you have all that Christmas shopping done, that you're uh, eagerly getting prepared for what promises to be a Probably if if your family is anything like my family, a ton of great gatherings amongst family members, a time to fellowship with one another, and a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that's exactly what I want to do here today on the podcast. I want to break away from any series that we're doing and really focus on the nativity, really focus on what I'm calling this podcast, the title of this episode, Running to the Manger. And that's what I hope that we'll do this Christmas, that we'll, we'll slow down from from how the world celebrates Christmas with the busyness and the shopping and, and the commercializing of Christmas, and instead take a breath and really focus on the birth of Christ and focus on what the Bible has to teach us in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I would encourage you to open with me to a very familiar passage that we'll be reading. And to do justice to the Christmas story, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, and I will be reading from verses 1 all the way through 20. So it's going to be a lengthy scripture reading today, but I believe it's important to capture the entirety of the Christmas story today. So once again, if you have your Bible, I would challenge you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading about the birth of Christ. So beginning here in verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because no room was available for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What a beautiful, beautiful story that I hope every family takes an opportunity to read here at Christmas time. So talking about the Christmas story today, have you ever wondered why when it came to the birth of the Messiah, the first people that God told this great news to were shepherds? Now, fortunately, you know, I'm not God. Thank God I'm not God. I don't have any business being God and you're not God. But it is curious as to why the birth of the Messiah was first told to a group of shepherds. I really want to dissect this today. I really want you to to think about this. Now, you've just gone through 400 years of silence in Israel. There have been no prophets. Um, There have been no no monarchs or kings that that have been God-inspired or God-breathed. Um, you've had 400 years, literally, of oppression between the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now the Roman Empire, which is firmly oppressing the Israelite community. These Israelites are groaning for their Messiah. They've been promised this Messiah through prophecy, and they've gone through 400 years of silence. And you have to imagine that it's become very weary um, for them to be oppressed by so many different dynasties and empires and to to not see the Messiah appear yet. Now you have the Messiah come on the scene after 400 years of silence, and God, in his wisdom, chooses to tell a group of shepherds first. I mean, this is wonderful news. Let's not downplay this news. The Messiah is here. This is God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus has just been born, and God chooses first to tell shepherds. Now, once again, if I was God, and thank God I'm not, but if I was God, I feel like I would have told somebody with a little more influence, with a little more ability to get the message out, right? Like um, you did have kings during this time, and kings had messengers, and kings could make proclamations. Kings and, de- and, and monarchs and, and people that are in charge, they, they have the ability to get the message out quickly and effectively, So why didn't God tell a king about the coming Messiah? But he didn't. He didn't tell a king. Well, if he didn't tell a king, I I would question, why didn't he tell like a temple priest? Why didn't he tell some high-ranking temple official? I mean, they would be able to get the message out. You know, I mean, they have congregations. They have people within their spheres of influence. Surely they could have gotten the message out about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. But God chose not to do that. Instead, God chose to tell some shepherds. Now, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard this message before. I know I've heard it a number of times, but shepherds were not really highly regarded in this point in history. Uh, They were probably one of the lowest rungs in society. They didn't make a lot of money. They were dirt poor. 
Um, you didn't necessarily choose to become a shepherd. You were probably born into a family of shepherds, and by default, you became a shepherd a shepherd because it was the family trade. It was the family business. So it seemed kind of a hopeless situation. It didn't matter if you aspired to do something else with your life. If you were born into a family of shepherds, you probably continued the trend of being a shepherd yourself. Another reason it probably wasn't a great task or a great responsibility to be a shepherd was because you lived outside um, most of your life, which may not sound like a big deal. It actually sounds kind of fun to me, honestly. But at this point in history, um, it was a big deal to live outside. But because you lived outside and that was part of your profession, you were filthy. You were nasty. I mean, just imagine living outside constantly, um, living in temporary shelters and that type of thing, uh, constantly being... um, at the whim of the needs of your flock. You know, if predators were on the rise, you would have to have your flock retire to like a, a cave nearby. If if the sun got really hot and the plains that they were grazing on got really warm, it was your responsibility to move that flock to cooler pastures. It, it didn't sound like a great job. And because shepherds lived outside, at this point in history, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean which was a big deal in the ancient world. So when you look at the when you look at the position of a shepherd with regards to society, it was pretty much an impoverished, miserable position to be in. Maybe only one step up from being a leopard. You were a social outcast. You were not somebody that held any kind of importance. With regards to society, I would imagine that shepherds walked through their lives day in and day out feeling pretty worthless. But then here it says in Luke chapter 2 that the Messiah has come. And God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to tell the shepherds as the first point of contact that the Messiah has come. One of the beautiful things about Luke chapter 2 If you really paid attention to when I read verse 11, this is the angel speaking. He says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And then later on in this passage, you see the shepherds, after they've gotten over this great experience, they've they've seen this, this angel choir appear before them and sing to them, praising God. And they've told them specifically about the Messiah being born just a short distance away. They couldn't help but be overcome with joy and praise. And it says that they ran with haste to find this mother and this husband and this child. You you can't help but sense their excitement. And I think there are really two things that we need to focus on when it comes to the excitement that the shepherds felt. Number one, they knew the scripture. They had lived through that period of silence between God and his people. And they too knew about the promise of a coming savior, of a Messiah. And who doesn't get excited about a savior, right? So they knew what was being told to them from these angels. And because of that experience they had out there in the field with their flock, they literally left their flock and went running to find this child. That in itself was exciting enough. But you know what? I think there's another reason they were excited. I think it had to do with how they realized 
that while they had no value to this world, that they, the shepherds, had value to Almighty God. That God saw them. That God said, this Savior that's been born has been born for you. See, they didn't experience any kind of recognition from the high-ranking officials of the time. They certainly didn't, didn't experience any favoritism from the Romans. I doubt anybody did. But they didn't experience any favoritism from their own people. They were social outcasts. And then the God of the universe appeared to them in that field and said, A Savior has been born for you. And it says that they ran with great haste to find the child. And then after they had experienced a one-on-one with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, that they left and they were bursting at the seams with excitement. They told everybody that they ran into what had happened. In a lot of ways, the shepherds became the very first missionaries because they left Jesus, were overflowing to the brim with excitement for what had happened and what they had been told, and they told everybody they saw. They didn't care about their status. They didn't even care about their flock anymore. At this point, they had left their flock in the field alone by itself. It didn't matter. It just became something else in the world that was temporary. And they told everybody they saw about the Messiah being born. You know, it reminds me of another story. It reminds me of the story of Hagar, actually. You know, Hagar became pregnant under dubious circumstances with Abraham. And she was one of the first in the Bible to coin this name of God. She called him Adonai Elroy, which stands for the God who sees me. You know, I would like to imagine that the shepherds were probably praising God and calling him Adonai Elroy. Praise God because he sees me. Now, looking at the firstborn, and it said very clearly in Luke chapter 2 that this was Mary's firstborn son. Think about the significance of that. You know, shepherds, while they were part of the lowest rung of society, they did have a very big responsibility when it came to their flock. And this was Jewish tradition. Every firstborn male lamb was considered holy and was considered to be set apart for sacrifice. This was a big responsibility for the shepherds at the time because anytime there was a firstborn lamb, they had to take that lamb and they had to set that lamb aside for the sacrificial system. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the sacrificial system of Jewish tradition, basically before the death and resurrection of Christ, you had the sacrificial system. It was the way that you were forgiven of sins. We had to sacrifice a firstborn lamb without defect, without blemish. It's part of the sacrificial system. You, you see in the Old Testament, sacrifice after sacrifice take place, and that is atonement for sin with regards to God. And it just sounds like an exhausting system because it's exactly as you would expect. You would, you would go to the temple. You would sacrifice this firstborn. You'd be forgiven for your sins. But what would happen? The next day, you'd wake up and you'd just keep sinning. And you had to hurry up and get to the next sacrifice so you could be forgiven for your sins again. You didn't have direct access to God. The sacrificial system sounded about as exhausting doing it as it does for me to describe it. So you do have this very important task that all the shepherds had to participate in. Anytime there was a firstborn male lamb in their flock, 
that was considered a holy lamb. And we have to set that lamb aside because that lamb will soon be part of the sacrificial system. Now, here's the ironic thing. Newborn lambs were wrapped tightly and swaddled, and they were looked over for blemishes and defects by the shepherds. So think about this. Think about the significance of this. Jesus comes. He's born to us. This is Emmanuel, God living amongst amongst us, wearing human flesh. He's wrapped in cloth in a stable, and he's placed in a manger because there's no room for him, him in the end. I mean, he's literally placed in a feeding trough. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, these shepherds show up. And they probably give this great story to Mary and Joseph about how they were out in the field and an angel spoke to them and told them about this child and that this child would be found in a stable wrapped in cloth, just like a firstborn lamb would be that would ultimately be used for the sacrificial system. You know, as I'm describing this, it it almost sounds like it was all planned this way. Because you can see the symbolism of Jesus coming to us in the same manner that a firstborn male lamb would have came to us, where he would have been inspected and looked over by shepherds to make sure that he was suitable for the sacrificial system. So how appropriate is it that Jesus came in the same manner, that he was born in a stable, that he was placed in a feeding trough, that he was wrapped in cloth the same way that a lamb would be, a firstborn lamb. And, and to, to, to really make it all connect, these shepherds show up to look him over and to see that he is the promised Messiah. What an awesome God that we serve. What an awesome story that we have before us here at Christmas to remind us just how important the birth of Christ is. And not just important because Christ has come to be our Savior. And believe me, if that was the only thing there was about Christmas, then that would be the pinnacle of importance. Um, I need a Savior. You need a Savior. We're all fallen because of our sin. We're all incapable of um, reconciling ourselves back to God without Jesus. It's very important that He's our Savior. But the Christmas story teaches something else, too. It teaches just how valuable that we are to God. I think that's why the shepherds were told first, because that's one thing that they lacked. They lacked value in their society. But God came to them first, and he said, this Savior, he's been born for you, and he's been born for you, and he's been born for you, and it doesn't matter if society doesn't value you, because the God of the universe values you very much. You know, I'll end with this. Um, we do this great event at my church. We did it just a few weeks ago. It's called the Bethlehem Walk. Um, we, it's a, a weekend, um, three nights, where we set up uh, a, a town of Bethlehem in our church property. Um, there's a lot of shops, and it's like a little village. It's really neat. and been doing it for years. And just about everybody in my church congregation participates in this Bethlehem Walk. We all take on different roles, and we wear biblical costumes and People that come and visit the Bethlehem Walk get to walk through the town of Bethlehem and search for the Messiah. Um, so it's a really neat event. It draws thousands of people. On Sunday alone, we had over 1,800 people come in a matter of three hours and walk the town of Bethlehem. It was really exciting. And um, one of the 
jobs that I've been doing for the last several years at the Bethlehem Walk is I've been what's called the third innkeeper, um, which is a very important role because once you've visited several shops in the town of Bethlehem, you you eventually start knocking on doors of the inn. You're trying to look for the Messiah. At this point, you've already visited some shepherds, and the shepherds have told you that that this child um, has been born in Bethlehem and at this point in the tour, um, you know that you're you're you need to visit some inns because that's going to be your best chance at finding Jesus. So um, the tour uh, goes through the inns, and the tour guides are instructed to to knock on inn doors. So before they get to me, they've basically been kicked off of the front porch of the first two inns that they've tried. But I have this really great job when they get to me. And they start talking about um, a pregnant lady and her husband coming by and looking for a place to stay. Have I seen him? I get to, to be excited and I get to say, you know what? As a matter of fact, I did have a pregnant lady and her husband stop by this inn looking for a place to stay. But I had nowhere to put them because we were booked solid. So I did offer them the stable out back. I thought at least it would provide some warmth from the cold. And since then, she's had her baby, a beautiful baby boy. Jesus is what I believe she's named him. I've even had my wife and my daughter taking them cloth to wrap the baby in and food to eat. And then, and then this is a very important part of my lines. And I love saying this, but I look at this group of people that have come by and I say, you know what the funny thing is? You all are not the first group of travelers to come by asking about this family. A group of shepherds came by just a few hours ago looking for this baby. I love saying those lines. That really hits home for me for Christmas. It just shows how Jesus came not for the religious elite, not for the rich and powerful, but he came for common people like you and I. And you know what? You may be touring through Bethlehem right now, but you're too late because the shepherds have already beat you here because they got so excited about the news. They came running for the manger and they've already arrived and they've already been to the stable and they're already out and about telling people about what they saw and what they heard. And I love that about Christmas. And Christmas, if you're not careful, it's going to come and it's going to go and you're going to miss the real meaning of Christmas. And I want to encourage you this year not to miss it. Don't miss that not only does God love us and desire to save us by sending his son Jesus to come dwell among us, to live and ultimately to die for our sins and to be resurrected so that we might have eternal life with him. That's important. But the second piece of that is just how valuable we are to God that he would do such a thing. We don't even comprehend love like that. As human beings, we, it's hard to even comprehend love that goes to that extreme. So I want to challenge you this year to really focus on what Christmas is all about. If you're like me, you're about to go to a bunch of family gatherings. You're about to go to a lot of office parties. You're about to have a lot of things in your future. Even as we get closer to the new year, that'll be even more gatherings and more parties and more fellowship to be a part of. I want to challenge all of us to take the greatest gift that we could give anybody this season with us to all of those gatherings. We could take the story of Jesus and how God loved us so very much and valued us so very much that he gave up his firstborn son, his only son, as a savior. 
so that we might be reconciled back to him. What greater gift could you give anybody this Christmas than your testimony and sharing the gospel, the good news with anybody who doesn't know it or hasn't heard it? I just want to challenge you to do that because that's become kind of a nominal practice for us. We've we've gone to these get-togethers and these fellowship events, even around a holiday such as Christmas, and we fail to take Jesus with us. That's the epitome of nominal. I want to challenge you to not be nominal this Christmas season. Take Jesus with you. Tell everybody that you can. Be like those shepherds. Tell them what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, and be overjoyed And don't worry about what they think about you. And don't worry about how that might change their opinion about you. Just boldly tell them. Boldly tell them what it's all about. Like their house is on fire. And you're trying to save them from destruction. That's the sense of urgency that we should have with regards to telling people about the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of Christmas. So I pray that you'll have a sense of urgency, that you won't celebrate Christmas without Christ being present in your heart and in your words and in your actions and in your thoughts, more importantly, in your conversations with others. If you'll pray with me, I'd love to pray with you this Christmas. I'd love to pray a prayer of blessing over you, of comfort, of peace, but also a prayer of urgency for a broken world that so desperately needs to hear the story of Christmas and the story of Jesus's death and resurrection on that cross to serve as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for our listeners today. I thank you for the time that they've taken out of their schedules to to listen to this podcast. And I pray it's been an inspiration for them. I pray it's been a blessing, and I pray it's been a simple return to the story of Christmas. Father God, I pray for their boldness. I pray that you would create in them a sense of urgency to take this great news, this gospel that you've given us, and share it with the unreached. Help us to be burdened about the unreached that's in our that's represented in our families, in our workplaces in our neighborhoods, just everywhere we look, we see lost and broken people, Father God. But you've given us this great remedy. You've given us this Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, who's come to live and die and be resurrected as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can have an eternal relationship and an eternal fellowship with you. Father God, thank you so much for the greatest event in human history. When Jesus came to this world to put on our flesh and dwell among us as our Emmanuel, as the Christ who would save us. Thank you, Father God, for being Adonai Elroy, the God who sees us. Thank you so much for being the great God that you are. I pray for our listening audience. I pray that you'll bring them comfort and give them peace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Running With God podcast, more than nominal Christianity. Send us an email at runningwithgodpodcast at gmail.com.